Welcome to the Science of Sex, a podcast about the ins and outs of the latest research about everyone's favorite topic. Here's Dr. Jana, an NYU professor of human sexuality, and Joe, a guy who's a fan of sex. Dr. Jana, we are almost middle-aged. We are? Wait, I thought we already are middle-aged. I mean, you're middle-aged for sure. I'm not sure if I'm middle-aged. Does 37 count or does it start at 40? I think it starts at 40, right? it's 40. So basically the Science of Sex podcast is episode 39. Oh, the Science of Sex (laughs) podcast is getting close to middle age. I think it's a good age. I mean, I I don't know. You you, you agree? You know how a lot of people peak in high school or Mm -hmm. peak in college? I Mm -hmm. I don't think I peaked yet. So I want to oh, say you're that about to peak. I huh? think I'm, I'm hitting peak, <laughs> as they say. Well, we were just looking at your photos from when you were seven years old and then 25 years yeah. old. And I got to say, if if I had my choice, I'd go for uh, how old are you? 40 something, 43 year old yeah. Joe. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. All yeah. right. Look at you. So Give me you compliments go. to start the show. That, I yeah. love it. That's nice. right? Oh, yeah. And you look pretty today, by the way. Am Aww. I allowed to say that? I, I think so. All right, cool. Yeah. Awesome. I don't want you to get <laughs> mad you. at me for that. But uh, You're telling me that I look pretty? I just don't know anymore. I don't know. That's true. I don't know. Uh, they are challenging, interesting, difficult times. But I think we're friends, so I can say that, you right? You can definitely t- yeah. tell me that I'm pretty. Anything, anytime you think I'm pretty, you feel free to, <laughs> okay. to let me know. Yes. Good. Well, uh, and not speaking about anyone's looks, but how does our guest look today Is <laughs> <laughs> in terms of a science? Well, I don't know. I'm actually not sure what he looks like. I don't, well, we, I don't we, I've know. seen a photo. I've I seen a photo. But uh, he's a relatively youngish man. Okay. I don't awesome. know. Maybe he's not even middle age okay. yet. Uh, but we can ask if we, you really want to know. <laughs> no, you can no. ask Dr. James Moran. No. But we're going to have him on the show to talk about something that is more relevant in the lives of the younger ones. Okay. And that is Snapchat. Okay. And how cool. Snapchat is being used for sexual stuff. Okay. And we talked about last week. You're not. Do, you don't do the Snapchat. I do not do Snapchat, and okay. you don't either. Don't. Yeah, I, it's yeah. one of those things. One of those apps that We're sits too, on my phone that I just yeah. I've never even We're, opened. I guess anything. too old, but for Snapchat, I think we are. We are going back to the middle <laughs> age thing. Yeah, we've we've aged out of Snapchat. All right, cool. So we have a couple things we want to mention. Uh, if, if people haven't been there, our website is looking snazzy. We have a website. Yes. Scienceofsexpodcast.com. Yes, so check it out. We finally have a website for the second season. That is where you can listen to all the previous episodes as well as all the new episodes that are going to come out. Get all the recaps, see mm-hmm. pictures, find out news about Dr. Jana, how to contact us. And that's a good way to go if you want to uh, maybe get involved in our next episode, which is going to be a sex question palooza. Yes, not the next one, but the one after that, Joe. Don't okay. get all confused. But Sorry. yes, we haven't done one of those Sex Question Palooza's episodes in a while and they are very, very popular. People love to get our take on all these questions that they have. So, Well, your take and then I'll... Well, a little bit of your take too. Yeah, a little bit. Your take matters. Come on. All takes matter. Thank you. I don't know about that. (laughs) Don't say that. (laughs) Don't say that? No. But yeah, so we're looking for your questions basically, right? Yes. Uh, Sex-related questions. Yes. And you can either go on the website and go to the Get In Touch page and then email us your question or you can just go directly to our email which is info at scienceofsexpodcast.com and send us all your questions and we'll see how many we can get to in a couple of episodes from now and uh, one more thing before we get started is we should mention that you have one of your sex science socials coming up i do have an event coming up and that is on september 13th which is a thursday 
and it's in Brooklyn, just like always at the Hacienda Villa. And this week's topic, the gender spectrum from a cross-cultural perspective. So we're going to talk about third genders, so-called wow. third genders in non-Western cultures. And hmm. we have a special guest, Dr. Matthew Steve, who has studied some of these third genders specifically in India. So the Hijra, uh, Panthi, Kothi, and other kind of sexual and gender identities and, and orientations and so on. So I think it's going to be really interesting. I hope you can either be there in person or you can watch the live stream on Facebook and you can get your tickets through Eventbrite. Just look for Sex, Science, Social, The Gender Spectrum. Great. Well, James Rand is standing by. Before we get to him, I want to mm. mention rates of syphilis, gonorrhea, and chlamydia have climbed for the fourth consecutive year in the United States. The CDC announced just the other day. So, Dr. Jana, last year, nearly 2.3 million U.S. cases of these sexually transmitted diseases were diagnosed. That's the highest number, breaking the record, set in 2016 by more than 200,000 cases. Dr. Jana, our sex expert, tell me, <laughs> why is this happening? What's going on? Oh, boy. We've been hearing these right news every now and then. They they come up, and uh, as you said, yeah, four, four years in a row now. Mm-hmm we have increasing rates of these curable STDs, STIs, right? right? So at the same time as as we're seeing drops in HIV diagnoses and certainly AIDS cases, because that sort of is a whole other story that we're getting better and better at dealing with. Right. At the same time, we are seeing increases in syphilis, gonorrhea, and chlamydia. And nobody really has a very good answer as to why this is happening some of the if you look at the separate diseases many of them are particularly increasing among gay men or men who have sex with men to be more precise yeah many of them are not gay or identify as gay but so among men who have sex with men I think part of the reason there is that prep, which is this pre-exposure prophylaxis that people who have a lot of risk behaviors for HIV can take on a daily basis. And even if they're exposed to HIV, they're not going to become infected with HIV. And because they are on PrEP and they feel they're not going to have that issue, many of them have stopped using condoms as, as a result or stopped using condoms as often right. as they used to. So they're opening themselves up to these other STIs, these other, but not HIV. Exactly, exactly. Because HIV was the one that many people were really afraid of or tr- were trying to prevent getting, yeah. whereas all the other ones, you know, these three that we we're just talking about are curable mm. diseases, and many people are not as afraid of getting these, which... and. and I mean, I don't know what your take it on it. Yeah, I was going to ask you because uh-huh. I know we like to keep it. You know, our show is very sex positive. Mm-hmm. But are are people just not caring enough? Is that is that possible that they don't care if they get an STI? Mm-hmm. Is it because you know it's not as? I guess I mean. Well, how how terrible is it? Yeah, so that's I what I mean. That, yeah, but you know, what's 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 your take on that? Is that get let's say getting gonorrhea or chlamydia or one of these or syphilis? So mm. these are all curable, yep. right? You you take a pill or a shot or you know a, a, a set of pills yeah, for, for a week yep. or something, mm-hmm. and then it's gone, and it doesn't really leave. Uh, if you treat it, if you catch it on time, right? You get tested regularly, you catch it on time, and you treat it right away. It's gone. Then it's gone. Okay. So how terrible is it? I mean, I guess it's bad if you're not forthcoming with other partners. Mm-hmm. I guess that that's my only thing. I mean, if, to each his own. If mm-hmm. people have, like you said, if if you can get it and it's curable and you and you regularly tested. But my main concern about that, especially with these spikes, is these people that are super sexually active. Are they not telling their partners? And sure. that's the and reason that's, for the growth. Yeah, that's a that, and that's a whole other story. Is yeah. yeah, how is this then being communicated with other people? The key is 
people, how often do they get tested and are they learning about this in time Yeah. or are they going months and maybe years without knowing? Because one thing that is very typical of all three of these is that many of the cases are asymptomatic. So you don't have symptoms. You don't feel that right. something is going on, something is wrong. You might, especially for chlamydia and then especially and syphilis during that latent stage, gonorrhea very often in men is symptomatic. But anyway, right, yeah. you, you might not know. Now, the counter argument when it comes to PrEP is that the people who are on PrEP, so if, if we're saying that a lot of this increase is being driven by men who have sex with men who are on PrEP for HIV and therefore they're exposing themselves to other STIs because not using condoms. The kind of argument is if you're on PrEP, you have to get tested regularly in order to stay on PrEP. Okay. Right? So they have to make sure that you are continuing to be HIV negative so that- But are they testing you for the other stuff Yes. So when you go in for HIV, they test you for everything else. Okay. And so now there's a lot more regular testing of people. So maybe part of this is is also being driven by more and more people getting on prep among that MSM population and getting tested more regularly and catching these diseases. Oh, so that's a why you're seeing the spikes. Back. Yeah. Oh, so I, okay. And I think it's a fair argument that yeah. at least maybe not all of it, but at least some of that spike is due to better surveillance and better detection of some of these new cases. Um, so That makes sense. Uh, I don't know. but I it, mean, in that community, you're, that makes total right, sense. But right. there's obviously, if you go to the other pockets of people who are just mm-hmm. sexually active and mm-hmm. they're, they're living yeah, their best life. Indeed, so- <laughs> <laughs> as, as, Hopefully, as, yeah. yes, living their best lives. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, there are increases in, in some of these di- diagnoses uh, among uh, women as well. So there's definitely heterosexual transmission of some of these and increase in that. And I, I don't know what that's due to. You know, we've, talked about uh, during our first season we had a couple of times talking about the fact that even though we think that people are having more sex with more partners that's actually not necessarily true with the younger generation that people are having even fewer partners if or sex less frequently than their parents generation so it's unclear why this is happening are we maybe just less scared of hiv in general and fewer people using condoms but Condom use rates have not necessarily declined or there's not very good uh, data that they've declined uh, recently among the heterosexual population who is not on PrEP. So I'm not sure. One thing is I think we really need to work more on destigmatizing STIs. They totally. really are not the worst yeah. thing in the world. There are many which could be have something to do with the with the spike. Whereas maybe in the mm-hmm. community where a lot where some of these people are, mm-hmm. there's just no there's no there's no stigma to it. You know the fact that you've tested positive for one of these things. Sure, right? and I think the MSM population in particular has has really destigmatized yeah. this because they had this really scary thing looming over their heads for so sure. long that these other things kind of pale in comparison. And I think there's a good thing. There's something good about that that really. These aren't the worst thing in the world, yeah. and we don't. We really have to stop treating them as if they were. Yeah. There are lots of other communicable diseases that mm-hmm. are not sexual or right. sexually transmitted that are, in in many ways, a lot more debilitating, if you will. Mm-hmm. If you get one, you know, if you're done with the flu, yeah. If you're done with the flu for seven days or five to you're seven days, you are miserable. Yeah. You're in bed, miserable. You can't do anything. Yeah. Except be miserable. <laughs> you can't work, you can't party, you can't yeah. go out, you can't have fun, you can't do anything. Whereas if you get gonorrhea, the only thing you can do is have sex. I mean, 
Unless, yeah, right. Sure. But let's say the, the only thing that, that really prevents you from doing it. I mean, unless you're sex. a sex worker, I guess it doesn't really. <laughs> exactly. You know. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't really affect much of anything. You can job. still go out and party and you feel fine. And so if you're just going to look at how much uh, it affects your life on a daily basis, other communicable diseases are far worse and yeah. yet they're far less stigmatized. But I think it's also important to note that we shouldn't take this super easily either. This yeah. seems to be an issue that's happening and we do need to address it because we don't want any disease to be spreading right. or increasing uh, regardless of, of what it's that It's hard to be. find that happy medium though, right? Because <laughs> we're trying to destigmatize it but at the same time, We'd rather not get it. Sure. Or sure. rather Nobody spread it. Nobody would rather get it you and know? spread it. So it's that happy medium. Mm -hmm. So again, going back to what I said earlier, it's like as long as you're being safe and or maybe you don't care about this, just make sure you tell your partners. And then well, communi so communication the, the key is, is huge. getting tested on a regular basis and and then communicating with partners if you know that uh, you have tested positive for something. I, I do I do want to point one more thing on the side of the argument of why we should be somewhat at least concerned is the antibiotic resistant gonorrhea. Oh, okay. So as, as we yeah, said- Yeah, you hear about those super bugs all the time, right? Exactly. Yeah. And all of these are curable. However, gonorrhea has been getting harder and harder to treat. It's actually become uh, resistant to most antibiotics that we have to fight it, except one currently. And it's so only a matter of time. That? Well, we're giving people that one antibiotic together yeah. with another one, which kind of helps- prevent the resistance of being formed to the one that hasn't. Wow. Yeah, so it's a little complicated right now. Yeah. And that's kind of our last weapon against gonorrhea. And it's only a matter of time before gonorrhea figures out how yeah. to develop resistance to that drug as well. And then we're going to be a little more screwed. All right, Dr. Shana, that was enlightening. So like <laughs> I said, we like to keep it positive, but at the same regard, we want everyone to know the facts. Sure. We, we got to stay balanced. Cool. All right. Well, tell us about our guest today, Jimmy Moran. Well, Jimmy is a second year doctoral student in the Evolutionary Social Cognition Lab. He received his BS in Psychology and Evolution and Behavior from the University of Scranton. He then did his master's in experimental psych at Buck University. He is interested in human sexual psychology, such as mate poaching, couples attractiveness discrepancy, and is currently working on understanding men's overestimation of women's sexual intent and how humans' major histocompatibility complex, which is some immune stuff, affects <laughs> people's relationships, attractiveness, and health. But today, we're going to have Jimmy talk to us about a study that he published about how people use Snapchat for sexy stuff. Nice. And we did ask beforehand, Dr. John, so people don't think we're just jumping ahead of anything. We asked him if we could call him Jimmy. We're yes, not just yes. Because it seems very casual. Because, <laughs> I, you know, on the Science 6 podcast, no, you're right. it's very, we, we always go, we refer to people by their doctor yes. or by like their full name. Like we would normally go, call him James Moran. But right. No, but he told us that he doesn't even respond to James because everybody calls him Jimmy. So yeah. that's why we're calling him Jimmy. So cool. Let's get All right. on. Jimmy Ryan, welcome to the Science of Sex podcast. Hello. Thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited for this. I hear this is your first time, huh? On this the podcast. Is, this is my first uh, podcast. podcast. Well, okay. yes, yes, that's what I meant. The way you phrased that could have been taken a different way, and I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> We're not about to have sex here. No, but listen, Joe. I just double checking this. I want, I want Jimmy to feel like he's in a safe place. <laughs> I, well, I feel very safe. Good, good. Jimmy, we earlier on the show, Joe and I were talking about age, especially middle age, because our podcast is getting to be middle age, and yep. Joe's middle age, and Dr. Jana is kind of getting close to get, <laughs> becoming middle age. But you're definitely not middle age. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm I'm 25. 
Damn. Wow. Well, now, yeah. now uh, Jimmy, uh, full disclosure, I don't read any of the stuff that we're going to talk about on the show. <laughs> so I will say, are we allowed to talk to someone who's 25? Does he have enough like credentials and stuff? Dr. Shana, yeah, talk to me here. <laughs> well, uh, to be fair, most of the people that we talk to on the show are a little further along their careers. You're yeah. what, first year or second year? I'm a second year in my doctoral program. Second yeah. year doctoral student. So we've had a couple of doctoral students. I, th- I think it's good to mix it up here and there. But okay, people, take it with a grain of salt. He's not a doctor yet. Okay. He does. Do you have not your yet. master's? I do have my master's. Yes. Okay. He's more educated than I am. So I think that's that should be the baseline. <laughs> exactly. <right? laughs> if you trust anything that Joe says, then I think you know you're in a good position to trust what jimmy says okay cool yeah yeah Uh, okay but you know let's run with it i'm good it it. is what it is (laughs) (laughs) but you know it's it's good to mix it up but also you know you just published this study on snapchat and and how it might be used by people for sexy things and there's not a lot of research on that so we're just gonna have to make do with a a second year doctoral student for this particular topic yeah (laughs) because yeah doesn't seem like the doctors out there want to pick up uh, this topic. Yeah, so Jimmy, you a big Snapchatter? Yeah. I am a big Snapchatter, and I think it's kind of goes along with your uh, age-related topic. <laughs> right. Yeah. I feel like everyone my age has Snapchat. Yeah, we joked about that earlier where uh, John and I are, you know, Twitter, Instagram, and a little mm-hmm. Facebook, but we don't really yeah. do a lot of Snapchat. So tell us why younger people or yourself would prefer Snapchat over the well, other hold on. socials. Before you tell us that, uh, what is Snapchat for oh, okay. some of the listeners? Because, you know, us being middle or almost middle-aged, a lot of our listeners are also in that age okay. range, so they might not be familiar with Snapchat. So how about we start with what is Snapchat and how it's different, how mm-hmm. it's unique from some of these other platforms? Well, Snapchat is like, um, it's like the other social media apps like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, because you're communicating with like your friends in a group. But um, it's different because you're only sending um, short little uh, videos or pictures that are on a timer. So you could send a selfie of yourself and it'll be like 10 seconds and then it's gone forever. Is it or only 10 seconds? Do you have an option for them to last longer or do they self-destruct in 10 seconds? So now Snapchat has a feature where it could be like indefinitely. So the, the oh. longer you're holding down on the photo, it'll be there forever. But then once you let go, it's it's gone forever. So you can never retrieve it again unless you take a screenshot. But then... The person that actually sent that would be notified, which is which which is what makes Snapchat pretty cool because it is self-destructing in nature. Mm-hmm. But if someone doesn't want that photo or video to go away, they can try and screenshot it. But you know that you it's get a notification that this you person's get a notification. Screen- yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, and that's yeah. different from all the other ones because once you post on the other ones, it's sort of there exactly. mm-hmm. forever. And it's kind of like a safer and sneakier way of communicating <laughs> with people, right? So if you don't want any evidence that you're sending these pictures, it's uh, way better to Snapchat someone than send it through text because then it's going to be there forever in the cloud and right. all that stuff. Whereas in Snapchat, it's, mm. it's gone. Yeah. And do we know if, if, so, I mean, obviously this has interesting potential for sexual uses for right. sexual yeah. nude explicit photos and videos, right? Yeah. Or food. Or food. food. I mean, <laughs> of course. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but do we know if, if people screenshot? Like, how often does that happen? I think a screen... So this might just be totally anecdotal, but I think a screenshot is only... If it's something funny or, like, you want to remember that or, like, if it's, like, a nice picture. Mm. Um, I, to 
scientifically, I don't know of any research done on screenshotting behavior and okay. Snapchat. Um, but people do screenshot like my own. I've, I've screenshotted people's snaps and stuff and people have screenshotted some of mine. And it's, it's definitely something that people do. Mm-hmm. Um, for sending like sexy snaps, though, I'm unsure of that because I think that kind of breaks the contract between mm. the sender and the receiver of a sexy snap. Right, right. And then yeah. you're not going to get any more sexy snaps if you do that without permission, it's, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like that's like kind of like breaking the trust. Yeah. It's mm. Like you're snapping for a reason. <laughs> right. Exactly. Otherwise, you would have sent that as a text message or something. Exactly. Yeah. So why do you think us old people aren't aren't as into <laughs> Snapchat as you youngsters? I mean, make it sound like do we're we have like any, 70. Do we have any data on what percentage of uh, Snapchat users are younger or something like that? Yeah, so a Pew uh, research study came out and it was about, I think, 18% of people over 40 had Snapchat. Um, but majority of young individuals like myself mm-hmm. use Snapchat. And I think that's majority just Majority being of, like 60% or 80% or what? Uh, 81%. What? That's high. 18 versus Uh, 81%. Yeah. And so back to Joe's question, why do you think the younger generation really took up Snapchat so much more than the older generation? Is it just when it came out or? I think it might be a mixture of when it came out. So it came out when I was um, a freshman in college. And so throughout college, like everyone was just snapping what they were doing. Um, Like it was very normal for Saturday and Sunday mornings for you to go through your Snapchat and see what everyone did that night. So you're snapping when you're drinking, you're at a party. Um, And I think it just like stuck with us and it's continuing to grow. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's just kind of like a way for you to show like what you're doing and like if you're having fun and like nothing matters within a day because if you're posting on your my story it's gone in a day so i think that's Mm. also why we like it because like our generation's kind of like fast we want pleasure now things like that so it's like we're fast quick and without a lot of uh, evidence remaining yeah (laughs) so let's let's kind of uh, dissect a little bit what the sexual options are for snapchat you know what are some of the unique and maybe not so unique sexual uses to Snapchat. What can you do? So you could take um, like a, a, a naked selfie um, or you could request it. So basically mm. the way the app works is you take a, you could take a picture of yourself and then write a little caption um, or you could take a video and write a little caption and then you could send it to whoever you mm-hmm. want it to be sent to. In our particular study, we kind of just asked like if you ever sent a naked snap, so technically like a sext, or if you've ever like requested somebody mm-hmm. to like come over. So Snapchat, I think, is like a really interesting tool for people to uh, solicit sex and like to find a potential mate. And so you could be flirting with somebody that you have a crush on and like just going back and forth through Snapchat, creating this kind of romantic sexual relationship where uh, the relationship is growing just through snapping each other. Uh Um, And and then I feel like as... Can you then sort of ask, like, come over or I come over or something? Yeah. Or it's like some of my friends call it like a, the you up text, like the two in the morning, <laughs> three in the morning Snapchat of a, are you up kind of, <laughs> kind of deal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was doing a set of talks at San Jose State University with uh, my business partner, Kenneth Play, last semester at the end of the last semester. And one of the things that the educator or the, the staff there who hired us to do that, they wanted us to address was Snapchat because in their experience, a lot of the students were brokering hookups 
hmm. basically yeah. using Snapchat. And they were like, how do we use Snapchat? Or how can we talk to our students about using Snapchat, not just to broker the hookup itself, but maybe talk about safe sex? And like, yeah. maybe can you take the photo, the selfie of yourself? The, are you up? And do you want to come over with a condom uh, wrapper right. or something like that to, so that you can kind of bring up the issue of we're going to use condoms and do you have one or I have one or something like that. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because a few weeks ago, actually, on the Today Show, the founder of Snapchat was on being interviewed by, mm. I think, Savannah Guthrie. And they were addressing that some parents are hesitant of letting their younger middle school and high school students to download mm. Snapchat because it can't it's it's easily can be seen as a sexting app right? Mm -hmm. Because of its destructive nature of the photos disappearing and videos disappearing. And the founder of Snapchat was like, Snapchat is not used for sex. It's <laughs> none of that. Right. And it's like, there's this study that I, I worked on mm -hmm. and then a, another study before this and just real world encounters <laughs> with other people. It's like, no, it, it is a way that people are trying to Clearly get hookups. Be, and, yeah. And it's so funny. I, I think Tinder once tried to be like, we're not a casual sex. We're not a hookup app. We're a relationship finding app. I'm yeah. like, come on, people. Just think Call a spade yeah. a spade for Christ's sake. It's literally. fine. Some people are going to use it. Yeah, literally, right? Some yeah. people are going to use it for sex. Other people are going to use it for relationships. Other people are going to use it for cooking. Yeah. You know, it's like, yes, these are technologies that are out there and different people are going to use them in whatever ways. It's so naive, them. too, for this. I mean, I guess they're just, they know better, but they're just trying to play right. dumb. Because if you think sure, about yeah. the, a destructive nature of, of a message, Outside of it being sexual or maybe offensive, why would you want your messages to disappear? Why? Why is there any logic behind that? Okay, Jimmy, is is Joe correct? Is the the messaging part of it like the individual messaging? Yes. You know, Joe sending a message, a snap to somebody. Right. Well, Joe wouldn't do that because I don't think his partner would you know, like that. Appreciate that. No, yeah, no, no, no. no. But yeah. uh, is that only used for sexy snaps? So I think it can it can be it a hundred percent can be and it definitely. Um, partly is. I think the nature of the app that it's destructive is also a really good way for you not to have to like relive uh, like something embarrassing that you sent. So Snapchat, so in some of the unpublished work that myself and my master's advisor, Joel Wade has, um, we actually asked participants like, do you Snapchat when you're drinking? Do you Snapchat when you're doing risky behavior like mm. at a party or something? And people seem to resonate with that and say that they do. And so I think the destructive nature of like sending something while you're drunk mm. um, to one person and then you not having ev any evidence of it is yeah. kind of relieving to the right. sender. Um, it's not but just then sex. It could be other things that are maybe not so acceptable exactly. or somewhat embarrassing. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Joe, not just for sex. Okay. Okay. But yeah. so, what data do we have? So, you had a study that we're talking about uh, that looked at that you surveyed about 450 students at a single university in the northeastern part of uh, the U.S. Uh, and and you asked them about Snapchat use for these sexual reasons. Uh, are there any other studies? Any other data that we have? Yeah. So, Snapchat is really like a a low hanging fruit for researchers to start understanding behavior because it is so like prevalent in like uh, college samples. And like, mm. that's usually what people are recruiting participants in. Um, so there's not that much data on sex behavior and Snapchat. There was a study done um, by Utz and colleagues. And so they were interested in looking at uh, jealousy and so what makes you more jealous if your partner's on Snapchat or if your partner's on Facebook, which is really interesting. <laughs> okay, wait, so, wait, wait, Joe, what do you think? What's more jealousy inducing if your partner's on Snapchat or on Facebook? Snapchat. Why? 
uh, just because of the nature that we've discussed is the fact that people think that they're doing something naughty. Right, because according to you, if you're on Snapchat, you're definitely doing something sexy yeah. with somebody. Well, <laughs> especially if you have the choice. Facebook is mostly public. You're sharing with a large group of friends, mm-hmm. whereas Snapchat, unless you're doing a story, it's it's mm-hmm. going privately. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right, right. And that's what they yeah, found? Joe, 100% right, yeah. So <laughs> the interesting part about this study, though, is so Snapchat had this feature, because this study was published in 2015, so it was when this feature was relevant, so it's it, these data might actually change now, but um, it used to be called your best friend list. So you oh. could click on somebody and you could see their top three Snapchatters. So if you think about it, if you're in a romantic relationship and you click on your partner's mm-hmm. I, like a Snapchat mm-hmm. thing and you're not on their top three, but somebody uh, of your sex yeah. is, Uh-oh. it's like, what, what the hell are you snapping <laughs> right. them? But they're not a sex app, Dr. Shana. Just remember that. But they did get rid of that feature, FYI. Oh, did they? Yes. They got rid of that feature? Yes. It was yes, causing that. more trouble than than good things? I guess so, yes. Yeah. So that is no longer part of the app. Like, you can go now and look at someone's phone and see their, their top 10 snaps. And you could see, like, uh, Snapchat now gives you a yellow heart for, like, your best friend on Snapchat. Mm-hmm. But only you see that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. And so are you saying that yours is the only study published that has gotten, you know, some sample of young people and asked them, do you use Snapchat and do you use Snapchat for sexual purposes yeah i wow. i think so My, yeah well good that That's we have awesome. you here yeah. okay right. so yeah. it's a convenient sample of of undergrads right yeah so i did this at um bucknell university in pennsylvania that's where I did my master's program with Joel Wade, who's the collaborator, one of the co-authors mm-hmm. on the paper. So how many people are we talking here? Uh, we had about 450, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Were all 450 user, users of Snapchat or? So all, so that was, so when uh, myself, uh, Kelsey Salerno, who's my old lab mate at Bucknell, who's now doing stuff with AmeriCorps, and Joel Wade, our advisor, we're sitting down discussing like how to plan this out. What do we want to do? Um I just said I don't want anybody that's never used Snapchat because I okay. don't think that's gonna yeah, it's like not give us a yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so when we sent out the email to everybody, our only criterion was that you have to be um, that you've had to had use Snapchat in the past or mm-hmm. still use Snapchat. And I think we ended up throwing out maybe like six participants that never use Snapchat. And so this was kind of like the greatest thing about a college sample was I know because a lot of people. Um, give flack to people that only use college participants Mm. to get their data. But the college participants are the ones that are using Snapchat. So it's actually getting a pretty good idea of what's going on. And what percentage of your sample had used Snapchat, of these Snapchat users, had used Snapchat for sex of some sort? So it kind of breaks down in a a different way. So like 30% of men ended up asking uh, for a hookup before while 17% of women have asked for a hookup. So mm-hmm. the hookup term was kind of like a, a loose thing because like we didn't want, like obviously they're not hooking up through Snapchat, although I guess you could m- maybe try doing that through videos yeah. and stuff. But sure. mainly virtual, it was just like- Yeah, virtual sex, yeah, I guess. Virtual, yeah. yeah. Um, but mainly it was just kind of looking at things like, uh, hey, come over, like the you up text and stuff. So about 30% of guys and about 15 or so percent of, of women, so almost double among men. Exactly. So, Jimmy, you weren't surprised by those numbers, the 30 and 15, I can imagine, as a Snapchat user, right? No, I, I, I wasn't, no. And especially, like, I just graduated from college when I thought of this idea. I This idea came to me because I was starting my first week in a master's program, and Joel, my advisor, was saying, like, think of a first project you want to do. And so I 
before that, as an undergrad, I did work in an evolutionary psychologist lab at the University of Scranton with this uh, evolutionary psychologist named Barry Cooley. And we did actually some mating sexual aspect stuff in Facebook research. And so when I was starting this this new master's program, I was like, okay, what research do I know about? And it's like human mating kind of, and then social media like stuff. Mm-hmm. So then wh- when I was forming this, I was like, okay, I know people are doing this. We're going to get some, we're going to get some pretty right. high numbers. I right. Think. So, I mean, obviously we have the gender difference. So I think, uh, cause you asked a few different kinds of questions around the different ways of sexual use of Snapchat. And so you found about 30 versus 17, uh, use the app to ask someone for a hookup and then kind of similar numbers. Men were more likely than women to ask to request nude mm-hmm. snaps. Yes, yes. So thirty-four percent of men asked for a naked snap, while only twelve percent of women right. asked for a naked snap. Yeah. Um, and then there was no gender difference in some of these other sexual aspects of using Snapchat. So if if I got it right, uh, there was no gender difference in using Snapchat to gain sexual access or in sending naked snaps, um, whether ever or kind of continually sending naked snaps. What what about the, the the numbers themselves? I mean, do you think so? Uh, Joe was like, everybody uses Snapchat for sex, and here we're seeing n- not only a small percentage of women, you know, something like twelve to seventeen, but also only a third of men. Yeah, is that surprising? Were you expecting to find much higher rates of sexual use? I was I was expecting we were, we all three of us were expecting a little bit higher uh, rates of use. Um, something that could be confounding uh, these numbers is there might be some social desirability going on, which is for listeners that don't know about that. That's just basically like I don't want to look bad to the researcher, so I'm kind of gonna fib of my response. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna pretend so might, that I haven't used it for sex, even right. though I have. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So some of these participants might not want to say that they have. Another thing that could be affecting these numbers is that some of these participants might not even remember sending these snaps mm. because of the nature of it that they uh, they disappear. So if they're right. intoxicated or something, they might not have any memory of doing it. Right. But still, I mean, I actually, I really found this surprising to some extent because people have this expectation just like Joe had. Wow, and, can and you I stop kinda, lumping me in with those people? <laughs> no, but I, I kind of had that expectation too. And yeah. the only reason I wasn't super surprised to see only 30% of men or only 15% of women uh, was because I kind of know that very often we overestimate how much sex people totally. are having or with how many different people or how fixated on sex they are. And we, we, we very often tend to overestimate. But if I didn't Definitely. know that, my sort of my my gut reaction would be that something like 70 percent of men or 80 percent of men and maybe you know 50 or 60 percent of women right would have used that for sex yeah Yeah, it's that whole like uh, paradigm where it's like everybody's hooking up but me Mm. so everyone you think everyone is hooking up with somebody and you're not and i think that could be the same situation with snapchat although the, the percents are low it's still showing that this app still can be used for like a sexual experience. Oh, type sure. Thing. Yeah. Maybe you should, uh, you know, email the, what was it? The Today Show or something and be like, is that where they were yeah, interviewed? The interview, yeah. The, yeah, I yeah. tweeted at them actually. Oh, did you? I was like, yeah. look at my study. <laughs> Definitely like, being used for sex. Yeah, it was like, great segment, but uh, shameless plug. Reality. Uh, I actually found this. Yeah. Did they respond? 
No, I wish though. That's a that's a dream to be on the Today Show. So, <laughs> well, one day you're the way at 25 and you got the study going. You're 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 on the right path, Jimmy. You're, you're good. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> we should also note that probably also uh, part of the reason for this is that the fact that not everybody used it for sex is that people differ in how focused on or interested in sex or or especially hookups. Which this this is probably one way of. Uh, Snapchat is probably more used for hookup sex than maybe relationship sex because mm-hmm. in a relationship you already kind of have communicated many yeah. of these things. You don't you don't need Snapchat to be like come over, <laughs> right? Um, right. So so you did look at this this other personality trait called called sociosexuality, which um, well, I think we've talked about it on the show. Uh, Joe, it do you remember? Familiar. Do you remember talk uh, what sociosexual orientation is? No, it sounds familiar, but not, okay. not recently. Okay, so if you don't remember, then probably many of our listeners don't remember yeah. either. So, Jimmy, tell people what sociosexual orientation is and how it uh, ranges. Yeah, totally. So, uh, sociosexuality orientation is uh, kind of like a personality trait, which for individuals that don't know what that is, is basically something that determines your attitudes and behaviors and desires and stuff. Um, but for the sociosexuality orientation, it kind of puts you on this spectrum of like beliefs, attitudes, and desires for casual versus committed sex. And it's so it classifies you as an unrestricted individual or a restricted individual, which I don't really like those terms, um, <laughs> to be honest, because it kind of makes the restricted individuals kind of sound prudish, which they don't have to be, right? They're, they're just not seeking variety like an unrestricted individual. I also think be. the unrestricted is kind of like, oh, you're unmoored, you're completely exactly, like off the yeah. leash. So, so yeah. it's, it's a little prude shaming and slut shaming uh, to some extent, totally. I think. <laughs> I, I agree completely. I don't know sometimes why they just don't say high and low in sociosexuality because right. really that that has no like right bad, no value judgment thing. yeah yeah but so the the unrestricted people are the people who have a lot of interest or the people high on sociosexuality who have a lot of interest in casual sex and then the restricted people are those who don't have a lot of interest or have very little or no interest in casual sex. Now, I do right, want to right. point out that very often this gets confused or conflated with your interest in relationship sex. And this is not what this measures. This is not right. what this personality trait speaks to. So even though people who have more interest in casual sex might be slightly less interested in relationship sex, the reality is that most of us do desire relationship sex and do find relationship sex quite satisfying and and desirable. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there like that. Yeah. Yeah, like like most of us. In (laughs) fact, when you ask people, no, there have been studies where they'll ask separately about interest in casual sex and then interest in long-term relationship sex. And almost everybody rates long-term relationship sex as something desirable. Like on a scale of one to five, everybody will be a four and a five. (laughs) Right. Whereas the interest in casual sex, that's where you see a lot more variability with some people saying one, like not at all, and some people saying five and many people being somewhere in between. Because you never know. It's like a crackerjack box. You just never know what you're getting in that. Whereas in a long-term relationship, you know whether, you know, good, bad, or indifferent Mm -hmm. is, you know know what to expect. Yeah, I think that play a big role in, in that difference. But also some of us, right, are very driven by novelty. Yeah. What are you <laughs> trying to say? Yeah. <laughs> are you trying to say you, Dr. <laughs> I I'm definitely on the high end of the sure. sociosexual spectrum. And wh- where are you? Uh, I think I'm on the, on the other side. The other side. I, I You're restricted. So. I'm yeah. unrestricted. Yeah, Jimmy, where are you? 
Or is that I'm too personal? I'm probably restricted. You're probably on the restricted side. Welcome yeah. aboard, Jimmy. Oh. Okay, <laughs> I just would love to point out that we have two men and one woman right now discussing this. And even though there is a fairly sizable average difference in sociosexuality between men and women mm-hmm. in general, with men being more unrestricted than women, we have the opposite here. Yeah. Well, we tend to always have the opposite when it comes to yourself and either my <laughs> and That's me. That's true, between so, you and I. But now we have one more guy more on the show, okay. and he's, he's more on your side got than it. on my side. So uh, I, I love the, the reversal of gender patterns yes. here. Awesome. But again, happens from most of the time here on the Science <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. So moving away from the three of us. Yeah. So the, the reason we, we brought in the sociosexuality aspect of it was because you looked at how likely people were to use Snapchat uh, for sexual reasons, depending on their sociosexuality. And we found that... Yeah, so we found that um, people that uh, were unrestricted, like yourself, Shauna, uh, were more likely to use Snapchat to gain um, a sexual access, were more likely to ask for a hookup through Snapchat, and were more likely to continue uh, to send uh, a naked Snapchat. So continue the, the mm. back and forth with their with their... Right. Uh, partner who they're snapping Which is not very surprising, right? So yeah, if no, more... was it? We, we were actually kind of surprised that the sent a naked snap uh, wasn't more uh, common. significant either. Mm, right? Yeah, you would expect you know my yeah, cause my we... kind of folks to be sending out <laughs> a lot more more naked snaps than the the you know, your kind of folks. <laughs> right, right, right. You make it sound like different species of dogs. Well, in some ways, we're different species of humans, but yeah. we, are, we are different species. I think, Jim, you might have <laughs> sold Dr. Jana on Snapchat. Before this uh, episode, <laughs> she, was not, she was not even interested, and all of a sudden now, you might be like, hey, I got to start getting, I got to start snapping. I don't think uh, I'm- going to download the app now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't think I'm having trouble finding sexual partners without Snapchat, so you know, I'm good. I'm okay. good. I don't all think, right. I do not need yet another social media. Got it. Okay. App on my phone. But he's done a nice job of selling you on the the, the Oh sure. The I can see all the benefits of right, yeah. of Snapchat for sexual users. No no doubt about that. But then, you know, the other issue is all the other people on Snapchat are gonna be my students. Oh yeah. You know, I'm not I'm not sure I wanna go there. Okay. You don't you don't have to add them though. Yeah, that's so true. That's I a know. good thing. And block them, so don't worry about that. And I don't have to post uh, my my uh, nude selfies uh, on my story. Don't do that. Right. Yeah. But what yeah. if I do yeah. it on, uh, by mistake, accidentally? It wouldn't be the most uh, provocative thing you've ever done, Dr. Jana. Well, there is not. There is not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, to kind of start thinking about wrapping this up, what uh, are you are you continuing to study these things, or is something else taking up most of your research attention these days, Jimmy? I, I wish I was still studying this. This was a this was like my first solo project, and when I was finishing it up, I had to get going on my master's thesis with at Bucknell. So I kind of dropped the ball on understanding social media uses and and sex. But right now, I'm still working with my grad advisor from Bucknell and um and my current uh, doctoral advisor, Damian Murray. We're we're at Tulane. Um, we're looking at uh, breakup sex oh. and some. So, like, you're probably familiar with uh, sex, sex with an ex, and mm-hmm. uh, friends with benefits and stuff like that. And I think on Dr. And off John has a PhD in that, I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yes. 
And so we're kind of like looking at breakup sex as like a totally new relationship and like totally new sexual encounter with somebody that you are already in a romantic relationship with and that you have sex and then that's it. Like you don't have sex again. You're broken up. Like it's just kind of like a closure mechanism. I see. So like the last, like, you know, you're breaking up, but you're going to have one last sex before you break up. It's the bow at the end of the show. (laughs) Yeah. So we have a, we have a paper under review right now looking at, we have why people have breakup sex and then like just kind of like how did you, how did it make you feel beforehand and afterwards. Oh, that's really interesting. If I don't find the study or if I don't see it myself, please, if you remember, send me the link and then we'll have you back on the show to talk about breakup sex because that's fun. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. Yeah. The last thing before we let you go, if you could give our listeners three practical tips regarding Snapchat or maybe any other social media for sexting or brokering sex offline, what would it be? Yeah, so I would first say, make sure you're not posting a sexy snap on your My Story where everyone can see it. <laughs> Dr. John, um, make note of that. Yeah, I'm not downloading um, just, Snapchat. Just to save yourself some embarrassment, and I don't, I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, I would say, if you are soliciting sex through Snapchat, I would kind of make sure you understand who's receiving it. So if this person is restricted on that, S, on that sociosexuality, they might not be really happy to get that naked snap or that you up text you up snap or whatever um so just watch that and then also i guess just be careful of making sure no one's screenshotting your sexy snaps well i mean you can't really make sure of that once you send it it's it's up to them to screenshot it yeah, but then you could be aware of like, yeah. okay, well, I know this person yeah. has it. I need to, I need to confront them about it. And you won't right. do it again, obviously. With and you, that yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Jimmy Moran, this was super fun. Thank you for being yeah, on the Science of Six so podcast. Much. This was awesome. Thank you guys so much. Well, that was pretty good for our first Jimmy interview. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy that quite a bit. You know, every now and then we should have twenty-five-year-olds in the show who are not yet doctors, because I don't know. There's something about. Young energy. Yeah. No, yeah. it's especially around us, us old people that we talked about. No, we, we need someone to reinvigorate us. <laughs> well, listen, we are old. We are, we are, we may be middle aged, but we know we are strong enough and we're resilient enough to come back next week for another episode. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Is that your segue into who we're going to have on the show for next time? It's the best I can do, Dr. Shada. <laughs> we're going to have Dr. Lawrence Tierney, who's a really fascinating scientist. And we haven't yet decided exactly what we're going to talk about with her because she has a really fascinating set of studies on immune functioning and sexuality. So how our immune systems are correlated or are affected by and affect sexual behavior and that kind of stuff. But there's there's a piece of me that thinks it's a little too complicated Uh to really translate that to general media. I went to this conference in Madrid this uh, this the summer and she presented some of her work and I was having a hard time kind of following and understanding wow. some of the stuff that she was saying. So <laughs> we need to we need to discuss yeah. her and I and see whether there's a way for us to really bring that to a general audience. If not, then she has another interesting paper about PMS. Oh. Like premenstrual uh, okay. d- 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 disorder, you know, when, when people really struggle with PMSing as with they say. PMSing. Yeah. And so we might talk about that if uh, if, cool. if yeah. So so anyway. Uh, I, Stay I got, tuned. I got that. So that's <laughs> next week. And then the week after that, we will be doing the sex question palooza. Yes. Yeah, so please email us your questions either at info at scienceofsexpodcast.com or just go 
to our new website, scienceofsex.com, and go to the Get In Touch page. And if you enjoy the podcast, like today, you thought, hey, this is a five-star podcast. <laughs> go ahead and give us five stars. If you listen to us via iTunes or any other media player, let us know mm-hmm. what you think of the show. Rate us, review us, tell your mm-hmm. friends. Tell them all about the sex. Tell them all about the Science Sex podcast. Tell yes, about the new please. website. And if you'd like to help out Dr. Jana, because a lot of the stuff you do, Dr. Jana, it's just out of the kindness of your own heart. <laughs> You're not making mo- millions of dollars. I'm not yet making millions of dollars. No. But if you want to help me make a, a, a dollar or two, please consider becoming a monthly Patreon subscriber by going to patreon.com slash Dr. Jana. And we'll be reinventing a little bit th- some of those tiers in terms of the perks, the perks that you can get and get a little more serious about getting you those perks on a monthly basis. So, yes, consider that. Cool. Well, these two sexy old farts will be back next week. Dr. Jana, till then. <laughs> Bye. Bye. To connect with Dr. Jana and Joe, go to the Science of Sex podcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Science of Sex Pod and follow us on Facebook at the Science of Sex Podcast. Subscribe now to listen to the weekly podcast.